We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 1 Timothy chapter 2 As today we cover verses 9 through 15, um, not a lot of verses, but man, just really packed with a lot of practical application for you ladies. You know, I mentioned in the second service that I, I really feel comfortable teaching on marriage and I think teaching on leadership and even teaching to the guys. I love teaching the guys, but you know, women, um, it's, it's different. I feel a little uncomfortable, thank God for our women's ministry. But I want you guys, or I should say you gals, I want you to know that I love you, that I'm so blessed, you're my sisters in the Lord, and I'm really praying that God would do a great and beautiful work in your life. Because today we're going to go over a couple of things. One of them has to do with your beauty, and the other has to do with your ministry. Because look what we read here in verse 9. As Paul is addressing the church, he's already dealt with the men. And he says, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. We see, first of all, um, Paul's information, Paul's message to the ladies regarding their beauty. You know, we're living in a world now where there is such an emphasis on the outside. Um, man, so much makeup, you know, so much money spent on clothes, so much time spent in front of the mirror. And my heart goes out to uh, you ladies. If you feel pressured that you have to have a certain look and a certain weight and just a lot of things about that that really, I think, pressure you, and, you know, they, they actually deceive you into thinking that that's really the priority in your life, that you have to be this whatever, this model, this beautiful woman on the outside and not really focused, not really even thinking about what you look like on the inside. You know, I think this church, you, you ladies, you sisters, and I, I want to address you as sisters because that's who you are and that's the way I see you. You know, you are, you are beautiful, man. I mean, just, you do dress nice and you, you do your hair. Thank you for that. You know, you comb it and you dye it. I mean, it's okay. And, uh, you know, you get yourself ready and you dress appropriately. You're coming to church service and things like that. And it's really, really cool. And I've noticed that over the years, and, and I think we need to just reiterate this, that it's okay, you know, to be pretty. It's okay um, to wear makeup. Um, probably not too much, though. You know, I want to encourage you girls, and maybe even the guys, because some guys wear makeup, believe it or not, but I want to encourage you girls, man, especially, don't change your, your look too much. I mean, you're... You're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no one like you. You have a, a beauty about you the way that God made you. And God doesn't make mistakes, man. You know, he made you. And so, you know, it's okay to wear a little makeup and, and you know, to, I don't know, um, you know, dress a certain way. This is you. This is who you are. I think that's totally 
totally cool. I mean, but but don't you know change who you are. Don't go overboard. Don't get crazy, because you know what you'll find a lot of times is that that's where you end up focusing all your attention and your energy. And you know a lot of times it's to the neglect of the real beauty. Because you can have a girl, and 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 this is say we're using the standards of America, you know, and she's pretty. And she can be beautiful on the inside, right? That's possible. And you can have a girl, as to say, we're we're using the standards of America because who's to say really, you know, what's pretty? But she might not be like, you know, whatever we perceive to be beautiful. But she can be absolutely gorgeous on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? And then you can have some girls, and they're just they're a knockout on the outside, but they are just so ugly on the inside. That's possible too. And so when Peter begins to address these issues and he talks about real beauty, he's going to talk about adorning yourself in a way that would be appropriate to your Christian, you know, standing in the Lord. You know, and so I want to encourage you to just know that that's really what the most important thing is. I mean, the way the Lord sees you. The way the Lord sees you. And so what does he say? He says, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. The word adorn is it's the same word where we get our word cosmetics from, and it's actually the same Greek word that's translated world, cosmos. And it literally means order. And so there's got to be a certain order, you know. And I, and I think that, like J. Vernon McGee said, if the barn needs painting, then you can paint it. Remember how he said that, you know. And I don't think it's cool. Sometimes there are some ladies that don't adorn themselves. They don't fix themselves up for their husbands. They, 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 they don't. And I think you should. I think maybe even some of you here as single girls, I could say this to you. Fix yourself up a little bit for your future husband. But but you don't go overboard. You don't get seductive. You just you just get attractive. And you put certain things in order. It's okay to do that, you know. Every once in a while you buy a new top or, or a blouse, but, but you're not consumed with that. You know, you go to the mall. How many of you guys, when you go to the mall, when you see the mirror... You're like, oh, okay, and you start like hanging out by the mirror. Do you guys do that? Oh, yeah, let me fix my hair right here, right? Let me hang out right here. Let me see how I'm looking. Oh, yeah, I'm looking good today, you know, that type of thing. And then so the girls, a lot of times what ends up happening, and, and for some of you here, for some of you girls, you're, you know, you're up and, and you're ready in like, you know, half an hour, you know, whatever. Some girls, oh, it's crazy, man. Two hours. It's a project. It's a major transformation that takes place, right? And so I'm always challenging, you know, different people. Man, I'm just saying, you know, you spend two hours maybe in front of the mirror, but what about this mirror? Because the Bible's a mirror. It shows you. You look in the mirror and you're like, ooh, I got, you know, my, my nose hairs are too long or I've got something in my teeth and I'll make some adjustments here. And so all I'm saying is that a lot of times you're investing money, you're investing time in the superficial, as opposed to maybe investing money, investing time, investing your heart into the real, the beautiful you.
You know, and I know it's difficult for some of you young guys here and young girls here, you know, but because, uh, you know, you're always looking on the outside. You're always looking at, at that part of it. But man, I want to challenge you to look deeper. Who is it that you're going to marry? What type of person is it? That is, that's the beauty really that you're, that you're looking for. And I think Peter, I mean, Paul here in writing to Timothy, as he gives the, the whole, you know, responsibility of men to pray, but he says without anger, because men have a tendency to get mad. Amen? You guys get mad? Right, guys? That's who we are. It's our vulnerability, right? A woman's vulnerability now is to get hung up on this and stuck on the outside. And God says, no, sweetheart, it's your inner beauty. That's the most important thing of all. And we're going to talk about this. You've you got to arrange yourself. You've got to adorn yourself. It says right here, in modest apparel. Now, again, it's interesting. The word modest is the same you know, root Greek word, the cosmos, things are put in order. And it, it actually means good behavior. In First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that's what it's translated. You know, and what we find in that, you know, wearing the clothing, that's the word apparel right there, is that there needs to be a certain propriety and moderation. The word propriety, it speaks kind of being ashamed, but that's only because it speaks of being in reverence, like you're reverent in your dress. And then right there, moderation literally means self-control. And so when you're wondering, well, how should I dress? How should I dress? Well, you dress as a Christian woman would dress. You dress with reverence and you dress with reason. You know, you're dressing for God first. You know, I know a lot of times we don't think of that, and it's a trip how some girls will dress. And, and again, you know, we're, I think, you know, you guys have been taught well, and I know a lot of you here, you have a good handle on this, but, you know, um, I, I think that girls sometimes they dress for the wrong reasons. They dress to impress other girls. Did you guys know that? They, they'll do that, or they'll dress sometimes to impress, you know, the guys. Or even their self. Like, hey, this is a look that I want, you know, and they do it for themselves. And, and that's cool. I, man, I don't think that God ever wants to take away your personality. I don't think that God ever wants to take away the beautiful way that you are all uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made. Your, your individuality in that sense. But that always has to be sanctified. Always has to be sanctified. And so you're, you're dressed, you're adorned. Think about this with reverence. And, and reason. You're drenched with that self-consecration to God and, and that self-control. Because a lot of times when it's happening, you get pressures from the world and they tell you how to dress and, 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 and you need that. You need to be able to keep the flesh under control. You know, and I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, if I had the money or maybe if I, maybe, I mean, I, there have been times where I, I like buying new clothes. Do you? Or maybe it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's nice. makes you feel good. The guys, the young guys are trying to get me to wear skinny jeans. Because uh, 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 I guess that's the new thing now. And I told them, I said, if I wore skinny jeans, everybody would leave the church. <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know. There's these different, you know, fads and, and stuff that come through. And I, and I just know that the Lord just says, hey, for, for us, 
as as we're, we know for you ladies, you're dressing, you're dressing for the Lord. I pray that you would know you're dressing for the Lord with reverence and reason, with uh, you know self-consecration and self-control. And, and, and as you do that, you take the culture into consideration. Okay, because again, in verse 9, it says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. And so you're like, oh, Manny, I can't braid my hair. And, you know, I like braided hair, don't you? I mean, I see the little girl with her little braids, and I'm like, oh, how cute. I even used to braid my wife's hair. And so some of my look at this and say, oh, I can't braid my hair, and I, I can't wear gold. And so, yeah, give me your wedding rings right now. Put them right here, you know. No, but that's where things have to be taken into the cultural consideration. And let me tell you, when Paul was writing this then, they did wear braided hair. It was up like this, the prostitutes did. And they had gold and pearls and jewels in their braids. So in that culture, obviously, he's telling them, you know, don't dress like a prostitute. See, that's a principle that you have to come away with. When you read the Bible, you find that God, he's going to dress his bride in jewels. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't wear too much. Don't wear for the wrong reason. And, you know, you, uh, you take this into cultural consideration. You always have to go to Corinth before you come to California. You always have to go back to what it meant to the original hearers before you make self-application. Because there are some churches, and I want to warn you, you go to the church and they'll tell you, girls, you can't curl your hair, you can't cut your hair, it has to be, have you ever seen those girls? Long, straight hair like that, long dresses, no makeup, nothing. No jewelry, nothing. And, you know, not that, not necessarily even that that looks bad, it's not even that. It's just that your heart goes out to them because they're in bondage to legalism. It's not rules and regulations. It never is. It's about the heart. And that's all, all the Lord is saying right here, that we have to take things into cultural consideration. You might go to one culture and they might ask you ladies to wear a head covering. That's okay. You might go to another one there in the jungles of Ecuador and you might find that they're not wearing a whole lot of clothing cultural consideration. You live in America. And so what is it that you know we need to be careful of? Paul says to the ladies, you're to be adorned properly. You know, and for you ladies, man, it has to be so obedient to the Lord, man, to where, you know, he tells you what to wear and man, you're just obedient to him. You know, be careful that you don't want guys to see your bust or your body or your curves or your cleavage or your shape or tops that are too low or too tight. Because if you dress like that, you're tempting God to judge you and you're tempting your brothers to lust after you. And that's not what you want. You have to discipline yourself. You know, Peter says something similar. Let's go over there real quick to First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, he says in verse 1, Wives likewise be subject to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And so think about what a difference, you know, ladies, that you can make. Think about that, okay? Your husband is dead in his sins. He doesn't know the Lord. 
And you, without a word, you're not preaching, you're not putting tracks in a sandwich bag, you know, without a word, that your witness and your beauty are so powerful that you make the dead man live. That's what Peter is saying. He said, you wise, this is the way you need to be. You know, and, and he says in verse 2, here's when, and here's how, when they observe what? Your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And so he goes on to explain, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. See, that's the beauty that God is looking for, and that's the beauty that I want to encourage you ladies to know that any one of you, you know, can attain this by the grace of God. You know, sometimes we think, well, and it's important for us, I think, to know that because here's something. You know, you might think as a girl that the guy wants me to be like this total knockout. And, you know, we kind of like that. Don't get me wrong. You know, my wife and just, you know, praise God for the way that she's taking care of herself. But if you could just take that attractiveness and go deeper to think this, that just as a man is, is visual and he likes that a certain attractiveness in his wife and it does, you know, it does, you know, draw him to her in a certain sense, try to take that now internally and try to understand that if you are beautiful on the inside, that just, we may not say it, but I tell you what, that's what we want. You do, do you realize what you'll do? You'll just draw us to you incredibly if you have this type of submissive, beautiful, gentle, quiet spirit. And so that's, that's really what, what Paul is writing. You know, when we're, when we're trying now to function as a church and we're learning the men's responsibilities and the men's vulnerabilities and, and now in his wisdom, now addressing the ladies and dealing with their responsibilities and their vulnerabilities, you know, these are the lessons that we have to take to heart. I guess the ladies need to ask themselves a few questions. Number one, is your focus on the outside, what others see with their physical eyes, or is your focus on the inside, what God sees and others see with spiritual eyes? Your focus has to be on the inside. I'm not saying you neglect anything else. Don't get me wrong. But let that be your main beauty. And then secondly, are you setting out to dress attractively? Again, that's okay. You want to look nice and neat for your husband or maybe your future husband. But just make sure you don't dress seductively. Paul and Peter say that ladies should let their beauty be primarily the hidden person of the heart, the inner you, not the outer you, how you are, not how you look. Remember that. Spend your time and attention investing in the inner beauty that God wants to do. You know, so I always love the story in the book of Exodus when they were building the tabernacle. I've always loved that story when they were asking for supplies and one of the things that they needed was, uh, was bronze or brass. And so in those days, that's what the mirrors were made of. They were made of bronze. They were made of brass. 
And so think about it, ladies, okay? There were some godly women in the congregation of Israel that had mirrors. They were bronze mirrors. And they gave them away. They gave them away. And think about that. How long could you live without a mirror? If I could just ask you. Try, try going like maybe two days. Say, sweetheart, do I have anything in my teeth? How do I look today? That'd be kind of cool. But most of you are like, I got one right here. <laughs> but think about that. What does that say? Huge. They gave their mirrors to the Lord. You know, I think that's really cool. I think that's what God wants us to come away with. He wants the ladies to adorn themselves in modest apparel uh, with propriety and moderation. In other words, reverence and reason, self-consecration, self-control. Verse 10, which is proper for women professing godliness with great works, with good works. And so, you know, it's interesting. The word godliness right here is only found one time in the Bible, and it literally means that God has been good to you. It speaks of reverence towards God's goodness. And so, if you're here today, sisters, and you believe God's been good to you, then what he's basically saying is then be good to him and obey these commands. To be good to him and a blessing in a way that you're dressing, and since he's done good to you, to go and do good to him and to others, because this is proper for women professing godliness with good works. See, that's what we want. God looks at the heart. God sees the things that we're doing. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. We have some examples. You're like, well, what good works, Manny? In verse 10, it talks about the widow, and it says in verse 10, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, there's a good work. If she has lodged strangers, it's a hospitality. If she has washed the saints' feet, any of you guys here need your feet washed today? There'll be ladies lining up for you. Okay, I want you to know afterwards. If she has relieved the afflicted, oh, I love that. Those that are hurting. See, that's the beauty that God is looking for. And he's saying right there, you know, if she has diligently followed Every good word. There's a really good example. There's a lady. She's got a funny name, but she's really cool. Her name is Dorcas in the book of Acts chapter 9, verse 36. And it says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. There it is. Which she did. And so when she died, everybody was holding up the garments that she had made for them. A lot of good works. See, and that's the way the ladies need to see that. Beauty is manifested. If you read Proverbs 31, you see more details there about how the mom took care of the family and all those Jewish vias and how she made homemade tortillas and stuff like that. Titus 2.14, it says we're to be zealous for good works. Titus 3.8, careful to maintain good works. That's the beauty that God is looking for, you guys. You know, Sadna Nicole, last week or a couple weeks ago, I was sick. And, you know, I mean... Maybe I shouldn't tell you, but I, I guess it's too late now. And someone made me some chicken soup, you know. And I was so blessed by that good work. I really was. I think that was the key to me getting better. But as I was eating that chicken soup, I was just so blown away at this practical thing that this sister had done. See, those are the things I think God wants us to be caught up in, ladies. And so, man, when it comes to your beauty, I pray you would know verses 9 and 10 
And then when it comes to your ministry, there's some things to know as well. Because look what it says in verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. And so there's the, the, for the women, you know, the beauty, and there's for the, for the women, the ministry. He says there's a couple of things that, that you can't do, but don't let it discourage you, because you can do greater things. He says, first of all, as far as learning, I, I want a woman to learn in silence. Now, before you get mad, ladies, okay, <laughs> you got to understand the context here. And even the fact that, that they were even open to them learning at all. You know, we take it for granted, you sisters, I'm sure you take it for absolute granted that you can come to the church service. But it wasn't always like that. As a matter of fact, even when you study the temple, you'll notice that there was a court for the, the men, this is they could go close, and there was an outer court for the women. They, they couldn't come that close. When you study the culture, what you find is for the Jew, he said, if you teach the law to a woman, it's like you're casting pearls to the swine. That's, that was the Jewish mentality for the rabbis. The rabbis said, and when they would pray in the morning, you want to know what they would say? They would say, God, thank you, I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, I'm not a slave. And thank you, I'm not a woman. That's what they would say. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that if you were a rabbi back in that culture and you're walking through the public, you could not greet a woman. You couldn't greet your mom, your daughter, your wife. So that was the Jewish mentality. They, they didn't have the girls initially coming in and learning, right? And then the Greek culture was even different. If you were a Greek wife in those days, you would have your own quarters, and no one would go in there except for your husband. If you were a Greek wife in those days, you wouldn't be able to eat with the rest of the family. You couldn't go out publicly alone, and you could not attend public assemblies. And so you've got to know what Christianity has done for the women. Paul here, writing to the, the church, he says the, the women are, are welcome to learn. They're welcome to learn. The only thing is, that they got to learn a certain way. they got to learn in silence. And let me explain the reason for that, okay? Because you girls like to talk. No, I'm just joking. That's not why. <laughs> okay, I kind of like our Sunday night service. And our Sunday night service, we'll have a teaching and we'll have a little bit of dialogue. They would do that in the synagogue services. If you remember reading through the book of Acts, what would happen is uh, they would preach and then they would say, does anybody have a word? And remember, like Paul would stand up or, or whoever, even Jesus stood up. And so it was more of a, the guys would kind of like, there would be more of a dialogue at times. And so all he's saying is that when that happens, I don't, I don't permit the women to speak at that time. Some say that they would actually ask their husbands you know, questions during the service, even they were sitting on both sides of the sanctuary. And, and we're not 100% sure about that. But you know how it can be. Um, have you ladies ever done that? You know, listening to a study, you're like, hey, what did he mean by that? And so then you start your own conversation in the middle of the study, and then you're distracted. Kind of like when you're watching a movie. Have you guys ever done that, watching a movie with your wife? And she asks you, well, what's going on? What's that? 
And, you're, I'm, and when I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I don't want to stop right now. Because, you know, you're listening to the movie. I mean, you're going to totally miss a part if you stop and explain it to her, right? And so what do you guys do? You just pause. You pause it. Okay, let me explain it to you. <laughs> you know? Well, you can't do that during live service, right? So what does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? He says in verse 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And here it is. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. And so pressure's on, guys. You've got to know <laughs> what the Bible teaches. And so Paul here writes and he says, number one, it has to do with women learning But then secondly, it has to do with women teaching. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. The Greek word for teach is that word didasko, and it's the classic word where you impart instruction and instill doctrine and expound biblical truths. Um, The word for authority is one who governs and exercises dominion over one. And it's real simple, you guys. I know the church struggles with this, and they kind of try to do some spiritual gymnastics and dance around it, but it's, it's really very simple. There's an order in creation we're going to see. There's an order even in deception. There's things that we need to realize when Eve fell, and so God says, what I've done is I've established men as the pastors. We're going to see later in chapter 3, they've got to be a husband of one wife, a man. A man is to be a pastor. A man is to be the teacher. And so you're wondering then why is it that so many churches have female pastors and female preachers and teachers holding that position and having the authority over men. And here's the reason why. is because they reason within themselves, they reason among themselves, and they don't reason with God. They figure that since so many churches are okay with it, and she's a good communicator, I'm okay with it, then God's okay with it. And no, no, he's not. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. That's what the Bible says. Now, I think I've mentioned to you guys before that it doesn't mean you can never hear a study by a lady. I mean, I think that, you know, I'll hear a study here and there, you know, and I'm super blessed, you know, to be honest with you. I know they're great, great teachers. But, but to have a woman to be my steady diet... You know where, and I, and I and I listen to Warren Wiersbe, and I listen to Chuck Smith, and I I'll, I'll listen to John Stott, and I listen to studies. I consider them to have a special place in my life. They're almost like my mentors, my teachers. And if, but if that's a, a woman, that's your special diet, that's your steady diet. Then you're now, as a man being led by a woman, you're crossing the boundary that you shouldn't cross. See, that's all Paul is saying right here. You know, I think that we need to take this to heart. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. Some of these ladies, they go and they teach these, these crowds or whatever, and there's a whole bunch of men in there. If they're so right on, why are they teaching men? They're not right on, if they're cool with that. You know, a while back we had Holly share, and I warned you guys. I, I, not, I don't know warning is the right word, but I told you, hey, Holly's going to be here Thursday and she's going to share, missionary from Cambodia. But I wouldn't spring it on you. Because a, a lot of guys, they, you know, they, they read the verse and like, oh, I feel a little comfortable when a girl starts teaching because of this passage. 
So if there's a lady over there, let's just say I'm Grand Lots, is coming to Calvary Chapel El Monte, we'll let you guys know, and you guys can make the decision whether or not you want to come. But it's important for us to stick to the scriptures. And, and to me, it's, it's pretty simple. Simple for us to understand. He gives a couple of reasons right here. Number one, because of creation. He says Adam was formed first and then Eve. And then number two, because of deception. Adam was deceived, but the woman being deceived. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. You know, Adam was formed first. Read that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And then God said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. And so later in verse 22, the Lord made the woman and brought her to the man. And there's a message there. There's a message there of spiritual structure and order. And again, and I pray that you gals would always know that it's not that one is better than the other, because it's not. They're just different roles and responsibilities. As a matter of fact, I really think women are absolutely amazing to me. I really do. I'm just blown away by the ladies in, in many sense. And many times in most churches, there's more ladies. And there's more ladies serving. And there's more ladies praying. And they're godlier than the men, a lot of times. So it has nothing to do with one being better than the other. Just different roles and responsibilities. Just like the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Son is subservient to the Father. And so is the Spirit. They're equal in essence and nature. But they're not in function and office. The same is true when it comes to leading the church. You guys, we can't, we can't allow ladies to lead the church because there's certain vulnerabilities, there's different responsibilities. He says right here that that's not the structure of creation and what happened when Eve was deceived by the devil. See, sometimes, and not always, um, but sometimes girls are more emotional. They're just more emotionally led. And that right there, I think, is part of the way you're beautifully made, you're sensitive, and that God knows when he made you, man, he, he did something very, very special. But sometimes those emotions can get in the way of making good decisions. And there's other things. There's that tenderness. There's things that you know you might do, and not all not all girls are like that. I know some girls are just like boom, you know, and they're not. But a lot of them are, and so there's just that general rule. No, Eve was deceived. I was talking to a, a guy earlier, and he was telling me about, you know, how he started following a girl. He started listening to a girl. He started studying, and even bought her books. And then next thing you know, he's reading the book, and he says, you know what, this is off. You got to be careful. So you hear that and you're like, well, man, what a bummer. A lady can't be a preacher. She can't be a pastor. She can't have authority over men. How awful. But no, it's only because when God says you can't do this, that he's got something better in mind. And that's what we read next in verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And so you're like, well, what does that mean, Manny? What it means is if you have a kid, then you're saved. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't mean that, right? We know for sure that it doesn't mean that because that would violate the gospel. There's a few views, and let me give them to you real quick. One view is that this is a general promise that women won't die during the delivery of their children. Again, look what it says. She will be saved in childbearing. 
And so not a blanket statement, but a general promise. And there are some teachers that believe that. Uh, Pastor Chuck is one of them. Another view is that childbearing is actually in reference to the birth of Christ who saves us. And so it says right here, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Now, the reason for that, there's three reasons. Number one, in the Greek language, there's a definite article before childbearing. So it literally says, the childbearing. Another reason is because of the word saved. In the pastoral epistles, is predominantly in reference to salvation from your sins. It speaks of salvation in other ways in different places, but in the pastoral epistles, it's predominantly salvation from your sins. And so if that's the case, if it's talking about salvation from sins, then that's the only thing it could be. It's got to be Jesus. It seems to fit the context when you read the whole thing right here. But there's one last view, and this one is the one that I'm inclined more to believe, and that is that unless a woman has the gift of singleness, she will find her greatest fulfillment in the beautiful role that God's designed for her in being a wife and a mom. Being a wife and a mom. Being a homemaker. Being a domestic engineer. You know, I know sometimes ladies have to work outside the home. You have to. And the Lord knows. So I'm not trying to beat you up because there's some wives, they have to. They have to. And they're still wonderful wives and they're wonderful moms. But I want to encourage you to try to put yourself in a place, you know, where, man, you know, that role of being a wife and a mom, which is just, man, it satisfies you, it blesses you. You know, because we are living in a society, and I know a lot of you don't feel this way. I, I don't imagine many of you do. But, you know, they're like, you know, I'm not really interested in raising my children. You know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make it big and, you know, I'll be the next or the first female president or, you know, or the company. And they have aspirations for their career to the neglect of their children. And that's where you have to be careful. The world, you know, they'll have a standard and they'll tell you that, you know, um, that's better. That just being a wife and a mom, that's, that's not really significant. But, you know, I pray you would know that it's really, it's the most important role of all. You're more influential on the kids than the dads are. You know, I get jealous sometimes of you moms. I'm like, Lord, I don't get it. Why do they get to have the baby in their tummy for nine months? You know, why can't I? They're all bonding already and everything. And but then when I see the baby born, I'm all, okay, that's cool, Lord. You, they can have it. <laughs> you know, and then generally speaking, the guy will go out and the guy will work and, and mom gets to hang out with the kids. I tell you what, I would love to just hang out with my children. I would love to take care of them 24-7. So you have that, that role, that responsibility. It's been said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And you know, when I, when I look at this, and really my inclination is that this salvation that he's speaking about is the satisfaction and the position in the church. Yeah, you might not be a pastor. You might not be a teacher or preacher. You've got to do something much more important than that. You're raising an army for the Lord Jesus Christ. That God has blessed women to be able to have the most influential role in the world. Think about all these godly guys, Chuck Smith, 
How did he get so godly? His mom. Right? So I pray you guys would know that, and I pray that we would understand this. And it's not unconditional. There's a condition there. It says, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So, you know, you got to stay, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, loving unconditionally, holy to God. Self-control might even be hooked up to what we read earlier because it's the same Greek word about adorning yourself with that godly beauty on the inside. And so that mom, that wife, what a beautiful, beautiful place you have. But I need to finish this way, you guys, because, you know, when we read the Bible, uh, we we always have to have this balance. Because if we lean too far in one direction, we become carnal, right? If we lean too far in one, the other direction, we become legalistic. And that... I don't want to do that. Jesus wasn't legalistic. And I don't want to be legalistic as well. You know, when it comes to kids, I hope it's really communicated to you very clearly. And I, and I, and I know this is hard, but I need, to, I need to tell this to you guys. That children should be seen as a complete and absolute blessing, never a burden. Never. You know, I'm always super happy when I hear of someone who's pregnant Right? I mean, it doesn't matter what their situation is. I'm blessed when there's life. It doesn't matter what their financial situation is. It doesn't matter. You know, sometimes you hear people, you know, let's just say the family has 13 kids, and then another one? Having another kid? That should never come out of the lips of a Christian. Never. I mean, in life, it's just so beautiful. I pray that we would never have that. You know, and I've never heard a Christian, a a sane Christian, (laughs) regret having a child. Oh, never. I mean, what can you compare to having a child? I mean, you trade all the riches of the world for a child. I mean, all the Apple stuff that you can think of at the Mac store, whatever it is, there's never been a sane saint who regrets having a child. So I pray that that would be super clear in, in your heart. But I need to say this, that at the same time, with that in our minds and our hearts, we've got to make sure that we don't go beyond what the Bible says because, you know, you hear the buzz sometimes and it's out there in cyberspace. And there are some people who would go so far as to say that you are, you are obligated to have as many children as you possibly can. And they'll tell you that if you, if you are, 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 are not, you know, doing that, then you're in sin. They'll tell you that you're selfish. Well, let me just share a couple of things. So I did a lot of research. All you know, my favorite pastors, denominations, there's none that, that teach that. There's individuals that do. And, and they're legalistic. And this is what happens, because this is what's happened. This girl over here, she has seven kids. And she and her husband, they prayed and they feel like their quiver is full. But then someone comes up to her and says, you're selfish. You should have more kids. 
The Lord knows whether she's selfish. Know her. She's not selfish. She just believes that her quiver is full. How many kids should we have? I don't know. I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. But I pray you would know their blessings. I pray you would know there's just blessings. I pray you'd have a basketball team or a baseball team or a volleyball team or a football team. I don't know. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what, Manny? I really believe that, that I should have as many kids as I can. Then you know what? You go, girl. Man, you go. That, I don't in any way want to get in the way of that. But I do want to be careful. I'm not saying you can't talk to people, but that I don't beat her up and call her selfish because she believes her quiver is full. Number one, no Christian denomination teaches that. And number two, no Bible passage explicitly says that. That's the main reason. And so that's where we have to be careful. You know, it's kind of interesting when you say the Bible. You know, I think Sarah had one. um, Rebecca had two. Then you get into Jacob. Leah had the most. She had six. And then when you through the Bible, I think there's one family that had eight. There's one in that ten. So I pray that this doesn't come across the wrong way, that Manny, you know, doesn't want us to have kids. No, I want the church to grow. I really do, man. I love children. I love children. But I love the flock too. And I don't want them to be burdened with things that go beyond the pages of Scripture. I pray that you women would be blessed in the challenge that God calls you to live in that inner beauty and in this wonderful ministry. That, that God has, has given you. Some ladies, are, are, they have the gift of singleness, and I see the way that God's using them, or maybe they didn't have as many kids. You know, we only had two. It wasn't by our choice. It was God's choice. God will show you, because God has a big plan for your life, and He knows exactly what He wants you to do. But let these things be planted in your hearts. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us, Lord, uh, this opportunity to study your word. And I pray for my sisters. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.